Amen. As we stand, let's uh, pray, shall we? With them proclaim, Jesus, forever the same. Lord Jesus, we thank you that yesterday, today, and forever you are the same. Your word remains. And we pray now, as we look at this passage of scripture, you would speak to us afresh as you have spoken through the ages and help us to follow you as the way, the truth, and the life. In your name we pray. Amen. Do please uh, take a seat, and uh, if you'd like to open that passage that Moira read for us, uh, that would be a great help. Uh, It is uh, on page 1098, uh, Acts chapter 6. Page 1098, Acts uh, chapter 6. I asked my wife this question over breakfast, so I think I'm going to ask it to you. I wonder how many of you have read uh, the book The Screwtape Letters by C.S. Lewis. Quick show of hands. Quite a lot. Not, not as many as I thought might, might be the case. Uh, I won't tell you whether my wife has read it or not. Uh, that would be a little bit embarrassing, wouldn't it? Uh, but it is one of the most popular Christian books, I guess, that's probably been, been written, certainly in the last uh, century, I guess. Uh, it was number 29 on the Church Times' recent list of 100 best Christian books. And it was certainly worth reading more than some of the others on there, I think it has to be said. Um, (laughs) Anyway, we'll leave that aside, shall we? (laughs) Uh, For those of you who haven't read it, it, uh, the scenario is, it's a series of letters, or it purports to be, it's a series of letters written between a senior and junior devil on how to trap individuals uh, and how to work against the purposes of God uh, in the world. And much of the fascination and the interest in it uh, comes from the way that Lewis shows us that Satan is so subtle and wily in his ways. Uh, Sometimes he works uh, in ways that are easy to spot and easy to avoid. But so often he works in ways that are incredibly subtle and incredibly hard to spot. And often, unsurprisingly... They are the ones that are the most effective. Well, we're in the middle of a series uh, here at Holy Trinity in the mornings, reading through the book of Acts. And we've been seeing the church grow remarkably in a very, very, very short space of time. And unsurprisingly, we've also seen uh, the devil's efforts to try and put a stop to it. Uh, He's tried many things. Uh, He's tried open persecution and opposition from the authorities. Uh, which many of our brothers and sisters uh, across the world uh, will have experience of. Hasn't worked. Uh, He's tried internal uh, division and corruption. Uh, We had the situation of Ananias and Sapphira keeping back uh, some money that they should have been giving to, uh, to the work of the gospel. Again, it hasn't worked. And in this passage, we see another strategy of the devil. It's a bit more subtle than some of the others. It's the strategy of distraction, and with it, it brings a cousin disunity. If the apostles are preoccupied and arguing, then the mission of God is going to go very quickly off course. Uh, As we look closer at this passage, I want us to first uh, consider the problem that uh, the apostles faced, Uh, then we're going to look at the solution, and then finally uh, look at the result. So we're going to go problem solution and result. Let's have a look at the uh, problem that they faced first of all, shall we? And uh, verse 1, the problem was gospel growth brings distraction and disunity. Gospel growth 
brings distraction and disunity. Uh, Verse 1. In those days when the number of disciples was increasing, the Grecian Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. Uh, The situation is pretty clear, isn't it? Uh, Excitingly, the church is growing bigger and bigger. Uh, More and more people are turning to follow Christ, uh, to become obedient to him, to follow him, and become part of the body of believers. And yet alongside this, it seems that the structures of the church simply haven't evolved quick enough to keep up with it. Uh, if you're a gardener, you'll, you'll probably be familiar with this. Uh, it's very easy, isn't it? Well, it doesn't really happen in our garden because nothing grows in our garden. Uh, but if, uh, if you're growing something, quite often things will grow quicker uh, than the trellis or the, the, uh, the sort of bit of rod that you've got uh, to, uh, to support it. And when that happens, the whole thing starts to come uh, tumbling down. Uh, that's really what's happening here. Uh, the church is growing so much and so quickly that the structures just can't quite keep up with it. Uh, Back in chapter 4, we saw that the early Christians uh, were determined to share their money and possessions to support those in their number who were in particular need, especially the widows uh, who were going to be... There was no social services in those days. They'd be thrown out uh, onto uh, beg uh, without this uh, this relief. And clearly, as the numbers of believers grew, uh, so both uh, there was an increase in the number of uh, people in need who needed this relief, but also, and wonderfully so, there was an increase in the number of people who wanted to give. And so this relief, the amount of relief, was just going up and up. Uh, The apostles were discovering that dealing with this was just taking up more and more time uh, and energy. And with that, they had less and less time uh, to study the scriptures, to proclaim them, and to pray for uh, the church and for the work of the gospel. Uh, if this continued, the existing believers, those who'd already come to faith, would soon find uh, that they uh, wouldn't have solid teaching, they wouldn't grow up to become mature in the Lord Jesus. But also, this flow of new believers would stop as well, because faith comes by hearing the word. If the gospel isn't proclaimed, then people cannot become Christians. They were in danger of being distracted from their primary task. Not only were they being distracted, but alongside this, there was this big threat of uh, disunity, and we can see that as well in verse 1, can't we? Uh, The Grecian Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews. Uh, Essentially, there were two uh, quite influential groups in the early church. Uh, There were the Hebraic Jews, who were Jews who were born and uh, raised in uh, Palestine. Uh, They would speak the native language, and they had completely rejected Gentile customs, so non-Jewish uh, customs. Uh, they'd kept themselves pure and undefiled. Uh, Grecian Jews, by contrast, were those uh, who uh, had uh, become scattered across the Mediterranean, probably because of the Romans conquering and uh, all the other, uh, the Greeks and so on and so forth. They were scattered across the Mediterranean. They spoke Greek, like uh, you might do if you were in that uh, culture. And they had adopted much of that Gentile or non-Jewish culture Um, that the Hebraic Jews had rejected. It doesn't take a genius to realise that those two groups uh, were uh, potentially, uh, well, they could could fall out very, very easily. Very combustible situation here. And it it was the Grecian widows uh, who were being overlooked. Uh, And this could have very easily turned, uh, could have been the spark 
but has set the whole thing uh, on fire in a blaze of disunity. Two, potentially, very damaging issues, distraction and disunity, but both stemming from a great problem, a growing church. And yet if either of them gained a foothold in the early church, uh, the gospel will suffer. Uh, There's an old joke told about vicars that for six days they're invisible and on the seventh they're incomprehensible. Um, (laughs) Whether that's true in this church, I'll let you uh, be the judge of that. Uh, There is no excuse for vicars hiding themselves away and being invisible, and there are certainly plenty who do that. It can be very tempting to ignore all the needy people and uh, go and sit in your study and read a nice book. That's a temptation uh, I suffer from. Uh, It can be very easy as well to preach sermons that are completely over the heads of most people in uh, the congregation, and I'm afraid that probably happens as well. But as the apostles recognised, it is absolutely right uh, that those who are tasked with leading the church do come away to devote themselves to this task of wrestling with the scriptures and praying over them. That is absolutely right. It's not selfish to prioritise that. They realise that if that doesn't happen, uh, then everything stops and it grinds to a halt. It's vital that they set aside that time, as tempting as many other things might be, uh, lots of needs, lots of things to do, to give that time to the work of studying the scriptures, to preparing, and to praying. Alan and I both promised at our ordinations that that's what we would do. And you, as the congregation, as the people we serve, have a responsibility to uh, help us to do that, uh, to enable us to fulfill those promises that we made uh, uh, at our ordinations. Uh, May I ask you, as one who is tasked with regularly preaching uh, from uh, the scriptures, uh, that you would pray for us and pray for all of us who are tasked with this uh, mission. We'd have time to give to the task of preparing. We'd be diligent. We wouldn't be lazy. We would use that time well and be faithful to pray for you, to pray over the words, to prepare uh, and to see what the Lord has to say to us. I mean, at the very least, uh, you'll get better sermons, I think. But actually, at the best, it means that we all grow together, doesn't it? Because when we have solid meat, uh, we grow up and to maturity in the Lord Jesus. I came across a great quote recently from uh, a chap called W.A. Criswell, who was formerly pastor of uh, Dallas First Baptist Church in the United States. Uh, he said to his congregation... I can't live off skimmed milk all week and preach cream on Sundays. I can't live off skimmed milk all week and preach cream on Sundays. If that preparation time doesn't happen, uh, then we all suffer and the ministry of the word uh, ends up uh, being diminished. We're a large church. Inevitably, things will be overlooked and neglected, just as it was for the church uh, back back in, in Acts. It's very easy for that to lead to grumbling and disunity. Oh, someone's forgotten about me. Why don't they care about me anymore? Uh, Let's be alert to that danger. It is so easy for it to take root, to grow, and to be nursed into bitterness. Uh, These twin dangers, distraction, disunity. Let's be alert to them and step on them uh, when we see them, shall we? So that's the problem, the two problems, distraction and disunity. Uh, The solution. Uh, Well, gospel growth requires delegation. Gospel growth requires uh, delegation. Uh, The apostles, to their credit, recognised this problem, uh, that the ministry of the word was being neglected. 
And they needed, they'd realized that something needed to change. Uh, and their solution was to delegate this task of serving the practical needs of the church uh, to other talented individuals. Uh, verses uh, 2 to 3. The twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirits and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and give our attention to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Uh, We shouldn't be surprised at their actions, uh, because their actions that they take are consistent with the teaching of the scriptures. Uh, All through the New Testament, the principles that they employ uh, are present. Uh, For for starters, uh, the New Testament is very clear uh, that service in the church is the responsibility of all Christians, uh, not just a few. Uh, too often in churches, there is this impression, isn't there, that there's sort of three grades of Christians. Uh, there's those who sit here Sunday by Sunday and uh, just kind of lap it all up. Uh, they're very faithful, they may come every week. Uh, but actually, they're not really doing a great deal in the wider church. Uh, then there's those who are a bit more keen, and perhaps they serve as sort of small group leaders, or maybe they help in the band or something like that. They're, they're a bit more keen, and they kind of are helping out the vicar and the curate with what they ought to do. And then there are those who are really, 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 really keen, and they go and become vicars or curates or missionaries. We laugh, but so often it's true. That's the way that we look at it. And the New Testament never makes that distinction between us. Uh, All Christians are called to serve Christ and his church, without exception. Uh, St. Paul famously used that illustration of the church as being like the human body where all of us have a different part to play. It's all vital. Uh, If one part uh, doesn't uh, doesn't work, then the whole rest uh, suffers. And the apostles' actions confirm that truth. They realise that it's not for one or two people to do everything, but actually it's for lots of people to play, all of us to play our part in the ministry of the church. Uh, We shouldn't look at this and think that they uh, sort of delegate by going, well, I don't fancy uh, doing that work, so I'll tell you what, I'll palm that off to you because you're less important than me, and you can go and do that, and I'll just sit and do the thing that I think is more important. That's not how they work. They're not saying, and this passage is not saying, that uh, those who are ordained or uh, people like that should never uh, do practical service. We should not take that away. That's not true. But it is recognising that we all have our role to play. It's a different role. Some people it will be uh, preaching from the front. For others, it will be being in the music. For others, it will simply be providing flowers. Everything is important and everything contributes to the work of the gospel. Uh, They recognise the diversity of the body and the call to shared service. Uh, More than that, there's a recognition in the New Testament uh, that the responsibility of church leaders is to enable other people to serve Uh, So uh, let me read from uh, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 12. Uh, Paul describes uh, the uh, the pastor's role as one of equipping the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ. Equipping the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. Uh, It's not that the clergy should do all the work and the congregation should let them, as is so often the case. Uh, Rather than being seen as maybe the bus driver who sort of sits there and is taking us on the way that we should be going, perhaps we should think of uh, the role of the church leader as being more like a trainer or a coach, uh, releasing others in order to uh, play their part and to develop their gifts. That's exactly what we see here, isn't it? 
uh, the apostles uh, recognize that others have got gifts and they release them and encourage them and train them to do that uh, so that the whole uh, body of Christ uh, is built up. They release others uh, to serve with them. Finally, notice uh, how the thing that they focus on when they're selecting individuals uh, is not their intelligence, it's not their, even their skills, but it is uh, their character. Uh, verse 5, uh, this proposal, oh sorry, verse 3 even, uh, brothers, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the Spirit and of wisdom. They were looking for people who were clearly full of the Spirit. They were clearly believers who were growing more like the Lord Jesus. They were full of the Spirit, committed uh, to Christ. They were full of wisdom. They were able to make wise, discerning decisions uh, so that everyone could flourish. We shouldn't be surprised that they went for those things. <coughs> Excuse me. All through the Bible, uh, the Scriptures make it clear that whilst man looks on the outside, the Lord looks on the heart. So often he chooses people uh, who maybe seem a bit unlikely for the task. And yet, what he looks at is the heart. He's interested in character. And not so much uh, intelligence or skills or anything like that. Not that those things are unimportant. But the primary importance is our character. Uh, My father used to have a saying. He said, uh, never let your gifting lead you where your character cannot keep you. Never let your gifting lead you where your character cannot keep you. I don't know where he got it from, but it's a really helpful uh, thing for me, at least, to think about. But the most important thing that God cares about is our character. It's not whether we're good at speaking or uh, good at the job that we have to do in the church. As important as that is, the most important thing is that we love the Lord Jesus and we are being conformed to his likeness. We are following him wholeheartedly. The apostles allowed the character of the candidates to dictate their choice, above anything else. It's often said, isn't it, in business, that uh, 20% of people do 80% of the work. You've probably heard that principle many, many times. Uh, And inevitably, what tends to happen is that some people get very, very bitter and exhausted, and the rest of people just get uh, stagnant and bored. It's very easy for that to happen in churches. Um, It's not the pattern of the scriptures. The pattern is that we are all involved, all doing the work, Uh, for the glory of God and for the growth of the gospel. Let's be praying that that would happen for us uh, in Trinity, that we'd all be on board, uh, that we would be be committed uh, to the work of God here. Finally, let's have a look at the result uh, that stemmed from uh, this this work of the apostles. Uh, The result was that gospel growth uh, led to disciples. Gospel growth led to disciples. Verse uh, 7. Luke records for us. So the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient uh, to the faith. Uh, They'd made their decision to delegate, and the apostles laid their hands on these uh, new men and prayed for them. And it's immediately clear, isn't it, that this decision was of the Lord from what follows. Three things uh, Luke says for us that happened. Firstly, the word of God spread. Uh, This is a phrase that uh, he uses three times in Acts. It's a uh, a sort of a a marker point for something strategic that's happened uh, in uh, in the life and growth of the early church. And we shouldn't be surprised to see him using it here. uh, Because as the church commits to ensuring that prayer and word ministry isn't neglected, so naturally God's word spreads. It follows. If you do one, then the next uh, will happen. Uh, It's through God's word 
doing God's work in God's world, that the gospel gains ground and the kingdom advances. That's always the pattern. Prioritise the prayer and the word ministry and inevitably the word of God will spread and run freely. Secondly, we're told uh, from uh, Luke that the number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly. Uh, the Greek that uh, Luke uh, was writing in makes it very clear that this, uh, this growth in the number of believers is bound up with this spreading of the word of God. Because as God's word flourishes and runs freely, so can we expect uh, the church to grow, uh, both in number and, of course, uh, in, in depth and maturity. I guess at a basic level, the apostles' freedom, new freedom to uh, go out and preach, prepare for, this, uh, for, uh, for, for their work of uh, preaching uh, the scriptures, it just meant that more people had an opportunity to hear the gospel. Faith comes by hearing, Paul tells us in Romans. If we let that uh, take priority, then inevitably we will see more people uh, becoming uh, believers. And yet I wonder if there's a deeper level here as well. In that the church's ability to overcome this crisis of distraction and disunity it is a wonderful testimony to the outside world of the power of God's word to change hard hearts. Two very different people groups who could have so easily fallen out and yet reconciled in the gospel uh, to work together for the glory and the praise of God. Powerful witness. And that power of God's word to transform hard hearts is seen in the third thing uh, that Luke says for us. He tells us that a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. Uh, Those priests would have comprised some of the most committed Jews in the land. They were devout men. They had given their lives to uh, the Jewish faith, to building it up and to propagating it. They wouldn't surrender it lightly for this sect that might be here for one day and gone the next. Some of them would have probably been Sadducees, uh, those who denied the resurrection. It is incredible that these men hardened uh, Jewish uh, leaders, became obedient to the message of a risen Jesus who died, was crucified, rose again, and who guarantees forgiveness of sins. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And they followed him. And yet that's what Luke tells us that happened. They were obedient to that faith that they heard proclaimed to follow him. They embraced the gospel wholeheartedly. The power of God's word to change lives is very, very well known. Uh, You might have heard of uh, David Suchet, the actor, or seen him on television. He's famous for uh, uh, being in Poirot, I I guess. Most of us will have seen him in that. Uh, Very recently, he's recorded the whole of the NIV Bible as an audio book, which you can go out and buy, and you can listen to it and uh, and take it in. He became a Christian after uh, discovering a Bible and reading it in a hotel room. He He was staying in a hotel, found a Gideon's Bible, Uh, in uh, a hotel room, read it, and was brought to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. The word of God powerfully transformed his life and turned him around from somebody who was previously a sceptic into somebody now who is a committed follower of the Lord Jesus. We're committed as a church to growing more like Jesus and to reaching out to those who are yet to know him. We can do many things that serve that aim. We can run Alpha, we can run Christian Explore, we can even have uh, add another service. And all those things are good. But the most important thing, the thing that really will enable God's word to grow, is to read God's word, to proclaim it, and to receive it. 
And let's pray that we would ever be a church that's committed to sitting under the scriptures. We have a wonderful heritage here of that. Let's pray that generations in the future will be able to say that as well. And that as we do that, as we sit under God's word, we give it priority. So we will see uh, it spreading among us and among our networks and communities. Well, let's draw things uh, to a close. Uh, Michael Green used to say that to know Christ as our Lord is to know Satan as our enemy. To know Christ as our Lord is to know Satan as our enemy. We shouldn't be surprised to see him at work in this passage in Acts, distracting the disciples and trying to tear them away from the work of the gospel. And we shouldn't be surprised to see him at work among us. And yet we know the end result. The Lamb wins. The word of God will run freely and will spread. Let's pray, shall we, that we will be on guard against his schemes and that we would indeed see uh, the number of disciples increasing rapidly, the word of God spreading, and people becoming obedient to the faith. Let's pray, shall we? Lord, we confess that so often we are uh, uh, not aware of the spiritual battle that we are in. We tend to downplay it and forget about it. And we pray that you would give us wise and discerning hearts to see that. Thank you for this example of the apostles prioritising the word. Uh, We thank you for those long ago who founded this church as a church on the word of God. We thank you for those who have sustained it. And we pray that we would indeed be a people who love your word. We read it, we proclaim it, and that it would spread among us and spread out to our city and many, many regions beyond. For your glory we pray. Amen.